what is the meaning of Christmas? I like what Dr. Seuss and the Grinch who stole Christmas made a great statement. Now this is after the Grinch has stolen all of the, the presents and the trees and the food. And he, and he sees them down there singing and still having joy. And he makes this statement in the book. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presents at all. It hadn't stopped Christmas from coming at all. It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Will we find, will Jesus find grateful people this Christmas season? Sometimes the Christmas season gets busy, it gets hectic, it's, it's 25 parties in six days, it's, it's obligations, it's all this everywhere. And if we're not careful, we will get our minds solely off what is so important, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I don't mean to bust your bubble. But Jesus was most likely not born on December 25th. And we celebrated it as his day. But he was probably born in September. However, being that we go with, every, we go with the flow, it's a good day just to celebrate and remember. It calls us to remember that Jesus came to this earth. He didn't have to. And without Jesus coming, folks, we were hopelessly lost. He entered into this world under the shadow of a no-vacancy sign. And sadly, throughout the world, there are still a lot of no-vacancy signs across hearts and minds. Amen. Now, we want to think negatively sometimes of the unnamed innkeeper because he didn't have a seed, he didn't have a, a way in, Mary and Joseph didn't have a place to stay. But you know what? Are we really any different in America today? Are we really any different in America today where, uh, with all the people pushing Jesus out and keeping him out? I was listening to a message recently by a man named Rob Carpenter in a church of 22,000 people, active members, in his church in South Carolina, and the Lord told him, give his church up and go and plant a church in Silicon Valley right outside of San Francisco. Now, let me just tell you, you better see the handwriting on the wall to do that. <laughs> and he did, and he said nine out of ten people he invites to church have never been to church in their life, and they will ask with a follow-up question, well, what do you even do at church? You talk about a lost place. Folks, that's the United States of America. That is not another country. Our culture is continually trying to crowd out Jesus. One man said it this way, that there was no room for him in the end was symbolic of what was to happen to Jesus. The only place that there was room for him was on a cross. He sought entry to the overcrowded hearts of men. He could not find it, and still his search and his rejection goes on. Why was there no vacancy? For those of you that were with me in Israel in March, and we're going to go again in April 2021, we went to Bethlehem, and a wonderful guide there brought us through the, the church and all the area where he was born, and she said, let me give you a perspective you may not have thought about before. She said, look around. There's plenty of room for Jesus to be born here. And you're looking around going, yeah, there's a lot of room. She said, yet he wasn't born here. Why? There'd be plenty of space for them to come in. Why was there no vacancy in Luke chapter 2 for Jesus? And she said, because she believed that there was no room for Jesus in their hearts. That they looked at Mary with scornful eyes like she had the red scarlet letter, like you're pregnant out of wedlock and you're not welcome here. And so they got pushed out. They didn't want to be associated with her. They didn't want to, everyone was looking at her funny like your crazy uncle at the Christmas table. You know who I'm talking about. 
And if you're laughing, you have one. If you're not, you don't. You may be the one. If you're not laughing, you're a crazy uncle. <laughs> Are you ashamed of Jesus this Christmas season? <laughs> Greg Easter's taking that with pride. <laughs> Are you ashamed to tell your family that you're a follower of Christ? Are you ashamed to tell those at your workstation that you're a follower of Jesus? Are you ashamed to tell those students that you're with at school, hey, I am a Christian and I belong to Christ? Are you a closet Christian? You worship God on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, nobody has a clue you go to church and nobody has any idea that you're a follower of Christ. Is there a no vacancy sign across your heart when it comes to being outside the church? Is there a no vacancy sign in your home? Is there a no vacancy sign that you put up at your workstation at where you work? Is there a no vacancy sign that you put up in your neighborhood where the neighbors have no idea where you go on Sunday mornings or what you do, but they certainly have no idea that you belong to Jesus? Am I preaching to anybody? Are you ashamed? Are you embarrassed of Jesus? Because Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to save our souls. Somebody shout hallelujah. So why would there be no vacancy in today's day and age? In that day and age, most likely they looked on her with scorn. They looked on Mary and thought, she's pregnant out of wedlock. We don't do that here in Bethlehem. We don't do that in this town. We're not going to be associated with it. But why do people have no vacancy signs in their hearts in today's day and age? Well, point number one is this. Is there no vacancy in your heart and life because of familiarity? Let me, let me break this down for you. Mark 6, 1 says this way. Then he, Jesus, went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. So he went to his own country of Nazareth, and the disciples followed him. The word follow there means to be in the same way with. It means to walk in the same pattern of. So his disciples were walking like Jesus was walking. In Matthew 16, 24, the Bible says, Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Walk in the same way with. I have a question for you today. Now, we're here on the Sunday of Christmas, and we are all got the warm fuzzies about Jesus in the manger and all that good stuff. Could you be accused of following Jesus? Could your workmates accuse you and say, you follower of Jesus, you, you walk like him. Could they be offended at you like they're offended at Jesus? I've just got a question today. Because there's many in the church, listen to me, I know this is going to sound tough, but hear my heart. There are many in the church today that attend on a regular basis and they say, yes, I am a Christian. But they don't walk like Jesus. They don't do the things Jesus did. They don't act like him. They don't walk like him. They don't talk like him. They don't resemble him in any way. So I have a question for you. Could you be in that category? And if you are, then what we need to do in the church, at least in America, I believe this, is some people need to quit telling people that they're Christians and start saying they're churchgoers because they attend church, but they're nothing like Jesus. Now, I know that's harsh, and I know, oh, man, we got new people here. Let me just tell you, folks. We want to be the real deal here at this church. Amen. We want to be the real followers of Jesus Christ. We want to love like Jesus. We want to walk like Jesus. We want to believe like Jesus and do things like him. We want the world to be able to say, I've never seen anything like you guys. 
Just recently, the parks director of Deer Park said, and, and, and just one of our members in the last couple days, he said, man, I am going to start coming to your church. I feel so loved and so accepted by you. I have never met a group of people like you. Folks, that's what we're supposed to do. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to love the community right into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 6, verse 2 says this. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man, if you'll go to the next slide, please, where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this with which is given? It's not working? Okay. It's given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. The Bible says that he was astonished, or they were astonished. They were amazed. They were amazed when they saw Jesus do some healing. They were amazed when they saw some things turn around, and they just they were puzzled by it. Now, I want, you to, I want you to see this for just a second. These are the same people in the small town of Nazareth that were his friends, that were his family. These are people that were around Jesus all the time. It appears as though he was left in obscurity until the time was right for him to come out. It appears he lived in obscurity in Nazareth and his own countrymen hadn't heard of his doctrines and they haven't seen his miracles until now. What a sad truth. Do we still not have a computer working? Something's wrong with it. Of course, Christmas Sunday goes to the part for the course. What a sad truth that those that should, should know Christ the best, those that are around Jesus the most, that should know him the best, that should see his miracles the most, that should be acquainted with what he does on a day-to-day -day basis, every single day the most, are often the most ignorant of his word and often the most ignorant of the moving and the miracles of the Holy Spirit. Right. Folks, I want you to hear this. I want a church that looks like the book of Acts. Yes. Where we see people raised from the dead. Yes. Where we see marriages restored. Where we see cancer fly right out of bodies. Yes. Where we see people miraculously healed. Where we see people saved. Where we see people baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. I'm not ashamed of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm proud to be a tongue-talking, devil-stomping, fire-baptized man of God. That means we are Acts 29 and Acts 30 and 31. It goes on and on and on. Somebody shout glory. Yeah. Pastor, you're getting on out there now. Yes, I am. I believe the book. That's right. And sometimes you just got to grab a hold of the horns of the altar. I came home Friday afternoon, and buddy, I was ticked off at what the devil was doing. Caitlin had a terrible allergic reaction. Haley's sick, and I thought, that's it. I went running through my house like the Tasmanian devil. I was screaming, devil in the name of you. I'm speaking in tongues. I said, you're getting out of my house in Jesus' name. I opened the front door, and I'm screaming. And then afterwards, I'm thinking, well, what the neighbors are again? <laughs> And I shut the door. I'm out in the garage. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm shouting, in the name of Jesus, you're going to leave. I'm not tolerating this another second. Then I'm on the way to the airport to get Mama. And the whole hour ride there because of traffic. Man, I'm praying. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm just violently. And I look over, and the guy next to me is just kind of like, yeah, all this guy. <laughs> but praise God, her allergic reaction stopped right then. Haley's fever stopped right then. Okay, I may look like a lunatic to everybody else, but I'm not 
I couldn't help with it no more, not in my house, not in my family. And I'm preaching to somebody here this Christmas season that will say, I've had enough, devil. You're not going to push my buttons too far. I'm the one with authority. I'm the child of God. I got the Spirit of the Lord inside of me. And in the name of Jesus, you will leave. And I'm telling you, doesn't it sound like the church in America that the people who ought to be the most acquainted with his miracles and acquainted with his word are often the most ignorant to what his word says? We pray for people, and if they get healed, we walk away marvel and surprised. I can't believe it happened. Folks, we should be surprised when it doesn't happen. Is his word true or not? And if you're new to church, let me tell you, every word in that Bible is true. Amen. They looked around and they thought, where did he get these things? Who is this guy? Mark chapter 6, verse 2. What are these mighty works? They knew his education. They knew he wasn't trained by some rabbi or some doctor of religion. Man, he's just an average Joe. And the Bible says, when he did this, he listened. They, they were astonished at what mighty works he could do. Mighty works in the Greek is dunamis. It is, it, is, it is supernatural power of God. They looked at him, and they should have been very well acquainted with his word. And when he did supernatural things, they, they were so astonished. I can't believe God actually did it. I'm going to tell you, he still does mighty works today. Amen. He can still heal your body. Yeah. Cancer is no, has no authority in the name of Jesus. He still will re re restore marriages. He'll still heal your body. He'll still put your family back together again. He'll still get you out of financial despair. He'll still flood you with hope again and fill you with encouragement again. Oh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. If you'll put your hope and your trust in Jesus this morning, He will come through. Woo! He'll ignite your faith with, a, with, with fire and faith in the Word again. Hey, when was the last time you looked at a scripture and you said, Yes, I receive it. It's mine in Jesus' name. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Are we got it up? I might have to pull it up on my phone. Mark chapter 6. Who knows what's going on? You know what it is? It's the devil, but he's defeated. Is not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are not... His sister's here with us. So they were offended at him. Hey, isn't this the carpenter? Matthew's gospel says, isn't this the carpenter's son? This was not a compliment. Listen, four things every father did for his son. He circumcised him on the eighth day. He redeemed him. Doesn't mean he saved him. Basically, it was like an offering for having a baby. He taught him the law, and he taught him a trade. A carpenter was an obscure, humble, and lowly job back then. He was hidden in obscurity until God decided it was time to pull him out of obscurity. And God will do the same with you and I. When our character can handle it, he'll pull us out of obscurity and not until. One day when you least expect it, God will take you and take us from obscurity to opportunity. Yep. Amen. There's coming a day that our realtor is going to call us and say, 
I found a building you need to come see right away. And we're going to drive that car over there, and I believe, because I'm praying this way, that as soon as we see it, God's going to say, that's it. And I can just see seven days a week children coming in for after-school programs. Yes. I can just see them being tutored by college students coming in to serve in internships and all and help them with their school break. I can just see them, many of you, giving lessons and teaching them the Word of God every single day. I can see single moms coming for Bible studies and their children playing in an indoor playground where it's safe and the weather is, not, is always conducive and their moms are getting saved. And I can just see adults coming that can't read getting to be able to learn how to read and help with their resume. I can see the whole community coming into a building and area for seven days a week. They're being taught the gospel. My dream is nobody in this area, not one child will be biblically illiterate. Not one child will go not having heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody in this area. Everybody hears about Jesus. Everybody hears the gospel. I can see their lives. I can see it in my spirit. means scandalizo or scandalize. Well, it's up on mine. Is it up there? 
No. The projector. Well, I can see it. I'll just hold the screen up. And get your telescopes out. You'll be able to see too. Scandalizo. I mean, scandalizer stumbled because of him and trapped or tripped up. And the Greek and the root word is is, is scandalon, which is a bait trap. It's it's the dangling of the carrot in a trap to get the animal come in and the trap goes behind him. Offense is the bait of Satan. Listen, they were too proud to be taught by someone they thought they were equal with at best, and that and they were, and that Jesus was inferior at worst. Right. Who, uh, who, who are you? Right. You made my table. Right. Who do you think you are? That's, right. That's the attitude of the Nazarites towards Jesus. Anytime the real miracles of God begin to occur, religious people get mad. Yep. We, we had a guy one time, listen, I'll never forget James Bannister and Sarah Thomas right there. Right, she's looking at me now. It's her father. He came down at the altar. He was crying, tears off his cheeks. He came down and gave his heart to Jesus. We had another religious man leave, stark raving mad because something didn't go to his liking in the church circle. I can't reconcile someone older especially that comes down with a broken, penitent heart and gives their life to Jesus, and the angels rejoice in heaven, and then you at the same time leave home, start raving mad because the song wasn't your liking. Anytime God does something supernatural, religious people get angry. Are you offended at Jesus this Christmas? Are you offended at Jesus because he didn't answer your prayer in your timing? Maybe you're still sick. Are you angry at him today because you have more month than money? Financial Peace University can help you with that. Amen. We got that coming next month. Maybe you're mad at him and offended because your marriage is on rocky ground. Maybe your loved one still died or you didn't get that promotion at work. You didn't understand his ways or methods and you don't, you don't understand why he's allowed that horrible thing to happen to you. It, become, it can become very easy to be offended at God as if God did something to you. Listen, it's a trap. It's a bait trap. Don't do it. Psalm 84 and 11 says this. God has withheld no good thing from you. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the trick of the devil. Don't allow Satan to make Jesus to be the villain in your life. The original temptation. Here's what the devil did. Listen, and he's still doing it today. He managed to pervert the character of God in the eyes of Adam and Eve. He said, God's not really a giver. Get your eyes off all that he's given you. That's right. And I'm going to get in on the one thing he said no to. Yeah. And I'm going to make him look like a taker instead of the giver he is. Yeah, yeah. Man, I come to tell somebody, if your prayer isn't answered just yet, don't give up hope, right. but don't get offended at Jesus. Right. Right. It's a trick of the devil. The devil will want you to think that Jesus is withholding something from you. See, if you eat this fruit, you'll be one wise. You'll be like God. God knows this. And she oh, and she had to have it. And then Adam ate it with her. And oh, they're, they're like blind flies going into the, in the electric zapper. We don't have them here because we don't have a lot of bugs. But in Georgia, if you're going to have a picnic, you better have a bug zapper. Amen? Or they'll pick you up and carry you off. <laughs> There's 6,793 known spiders in the world. Well, there are 9,000 in Georgia. <laughs> you better have a bug zap. What do the bugs do? They I see the light. I see the light. And they get zapped. Listen, that's what offense in God does. 
And the devil dangles it. Oh, God doesn't love you. He didn't answer your prayer. Yep. Oh, God don't love you. Your marriage is a wreck. You see how he's done their marriage? Oh, look at Pastor and Holly's marriage. They got it all together. Everything's great. Just <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. It really is great by the grace of God. It really is. But he'll get you to looking at everybody else, and he'll make you think that God loves everybody else more than you. Now all of a sudden, I'm offended at God. I'm not going to church next week. I don't really care about next year's vision, Pastor. I'm angry with God. Ted Turner, did you know, was actually raised in a Christian home and a Christian? Ted Turner, the mogul of TBS, Turner Broadcasting System, former owner of the Atlanta Braves, married to Jane Fonda, the other cuckoo. Listen. <laughs> Ted Turner was saved. His sister got sick. You can look this up. And he prayed for her, and she didn't survive. She died, and he got angry at God. He said, God, why didn't you save my sister? And then it turned into, well, there is no God, and it turned him into the atheist he is today. He is anti-God because God didn't answer his prayer. It is so easy to get offended at God. I don't know who I'm preaching to. And you may be in this room right now, and this may be the first Sunday you've been in church in a long time, and you're saying, that's me, I'm mad at God. Listen, God didn't do anything bad to you. Let me tell you what God did. He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to this earth to walk it for 33 years and to die on a cross to shed His blood for your sins and mine. He paid the way for us to be saved, to be delivered, to be free, to be have liberty and freedom and help. Oh, I come to tell somebody today, I'll tell you what God did. He did everything for us. He's been good to us. Shout out, He's been good to me. He's a good God. Hallelujah. Listen, no one wins in cases like this but the devil. How, how much did the Nazarenes lose by their prejudices against Jesus? When we're offended at God and we don't talk to... Look, Robert Morris, when he almost died, he, I was at his conference. He testified. He didn't pray for three months. And he said after three months... He's got 70,000 members. He said, God told him one day, are you over it? He said, no, I'm not talking to you. Listen, it can be, what did Robert Morris lose in 90 days of not getting into God's presence? What do you miss every week when you don't get in his word and pray? What are, you, what are you missing out on when you decide to just sleep in on Sunday and say, eh, it's just a church service? Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, I don't have my face ID on your phone just yet. <laughs> Let me try mine. Matthew, I'm just going to pull it up on mine. Mark chapter 6, verse 4. Is it up? No, on yours. Okay. It is for me. All right, go back to Mark 6, 4. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and among his own house. Basically, they could not accept the divinity and the miracles of Jesus. They were just He was just an average guy, a carpenter, a lowly, hand-working guy that they knew in the neighborhood. Can I ask you, how do you see Jesus? Because Jesus asked his disciples one day. He got them out there at Caesarea Philippi, and he said, Hey, 
Who do men say that I am? Well, they went on down the line of Elijah and John the Baptist. He said, okay, let me get a little more funny. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a historical figure in the pages of an old antiquated book? Is he just somebody that you've heard about, but you really don't know? Is he a prophet for his time? Maybe a miracle worker in his time? Or is he the Messiah, the Son of the living God to you? Mark 6, 5 says this. Now, he could do no mighty work. Everybody say mighty work. Mighty That's dunamis. That means, that means the supernatural power of God. When you, know, you say, wow, that wasn't natural. It was supernatural. That's what we're talking about there. Except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Why? They got too familiar with him, right? You know, who are you? You made my bar stool. I don't know who you are. Their unbelief, listen, actually overrode the power of God. Do you know what is stronger than the power of God? Unbelief. Did you know that unbelief in your life can actually override the God supernatural power of God? Wow. In verse 6, the Bible says, And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about the villages of the circuit teaching. They, he marveled. He wondered. He was blown away at their unbelief or their faithlessness. Now listen, there are two times in the scripture, and if we could get that thing working, you'd see it. You'll just have to look at it later. But there are two times in scripture that the Bible says Jesus marveled. He was blown off his feet astonished. One is here at the people in Nazareth at their unbelief. You know what the other one was? When the Roman centurion sent for him and said, Heal my servant, and Jesus was getting ready to head that way, and he got the note that he was coming, he said, Hey, don't bother Jesus. It's all good. I understand authority. Just tell him to say the word. It'll be done. The Bible says Jesus marveled at his belief. So there's two places in Scripture that Jesus marvels. One is in unbelief. The other one is in great faith. I have a question. How is he marveling over you? They were too familiar. Is there no vacancy in your heart and life because of familiarity? Oh, I've been to church all my life. I've been to the altar. No longer is it I'm going to meet with God on Sunday. Now it's the I'm going to church. No longer is it, man, God's going to speak to me through his word. It's, I, you know, I'm going to hear a sermon. No more is it I'm going, to, I'm going to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. I'm going to sing a few songs. Honey, where are we going to lunch today? <laughs> it's become a mess in America. I talked to a dear friend of mine, a powerful evangelist, who is doing mighty works and missions work in Africa and India. And he told me, he said, I'm so discouraged with the church in America today. He said, I go overseas in Africa and India. He said, over the last couple of years, I've been part of a whole movement. He said, Dallas, we've seen 300,000 people saved in Africa and 300,000 people saved in India. I've been part of seeing 600,000 people come to Christ. He said, we have planted 7,500 churches in Africa and India. And he said, now they may not have a building. They may be under a tree. He said, but our parameters, you've got to have 25 people or more. He said, we might have 25 meeting under a tree, but that's a congregation of people. We call that a church. I say, man, hallelujah. He said, we're seeing miracles. And we're seeing signs and wonders and people get saved. And he said, in America, it's like nobody cares anymore. I'm telling you, folks, we need a great awakening in our country. 
last time you encountered the presence of God in your living room? When was the last time you encountered the presence of God at your dinner table? When was the last time you got your kids around and you worship and the presence of God filled that place and everybody's praying and seeking God and speaking in tongues? You don't have to just do that in church. That can happen in your house. When was the last time you woke up and God was the first thought on your mind? His word was the first thing you looked at and you began to wake up with a song of praise in your heart. Wow. Point number two is this. Is there no vacancy in your heart and life because of possessions? So you got familiarity. Maybe you've been in church a long time. You've been there, seen that, done that. I want to tell you, you can experience God fresh and new. Maybe possessions and, and the lust for them or money is all that is, is crowding God out. Maybe that has put a no vacancy in your heart and life towards Jesus. The rich young ruler came running to Jesus. What do I got to do to be saved? Jesus said, well, you know, he dealt with commandments that were to people. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery, those things. He said, I've done them all. I've done them all. Jesus, recognizing he was breaking the first commandment, said, okay, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Well, he walked away sorrowful. That's not Jesus' commandment for everybody. If so, why didn't he tell Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea, hey, get rid of everything and go follow it? It was that he was he was violating the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26 says, What do you benefit if you gain, listen, the whole world and lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? I don't care if somebody offered you $10 billion today. Would that be worth your soul of eternity in hell? Mark 10, uh, 29 and 30 says this. Jesus replied, I assure you, everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now and in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, and so forth and in the age to come eternal life. What he is saying is, hey, all the stuff you see on earth, there are no hearses pulling you halls for you to go to heaven. In one parable, he said that the weeds and the thorns, basically the cares of the world and the riches of the world, were choking the word out. Was there a time in your life where you were more on fire for God than you are now? Was there a time in your life where you just couldn't wait to get in the pages of the word, and now you just sort of take it or leave it? Was there a time in your life where you thought, I can't wait till I have a free minute so I can talk to God? Maybe worship. And now it's just, well, maybe next, maybe tomorrow or the next day. Folks, it could be that the devil has choking the word out of your life. Is there no vacancy in your heart and life because of possessions and those things? The shepherds showed us what Christmas should be about. We're to run to Jesus with faith and expectation. Christmas is not about all the stuff. It's about Jesus. Finally, is there no vacancy in your heart like because of activities? As the Bible says in Luke 14, you'll pass Luke 14 for me. It says he says to a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at a supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I gotta go see it, have me excused. In other words, first of all, who buys property and land doesn't even see it? 
They were so concerned about future investments, the stock market of their day, their retirement accounts, and all that stuff that they said, no, I don't have time for Jesus. Then the next guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. Have me excused. What he was basically saying is, I, I bought a business. I hadn't even seen it. Maybe the oxen are old and incapable and worthless. Who knows? Who does that? But he said, I bought this business. I got to go take care of my business. And that was the premier business of its day. Listen, has business and the, and, the, and, the, and the trying to get your business going or money or possessions and all that put a no vacancy across your heart that says, Jesus, I don't have time right now. Then the last guy says, well, I married a wife and I can't come. Well, what, what precluded him from bringing the wife with him? What he was basically saying was, human relationships are more important than my relationship with God. What he was saying was, hey, everybody was saying, man, money and possessions and business and my future and relationships and all this stuff. I'm sorry, Jesus, no vacancy. Can I, can I tell you we need to have vacancy for Jesus? All of these things have one thing in common. They had, listen, filled their hearts with other stuff and crowded Jesus out. If this bottle of water is full of water and I try to pour milk into it, what's going to happen to the milk? It's going to just spill right over. Do you know why? Oh, I don't know who I'm preaching to, but listen very closely. Do you know why you may come to church? And you say, man, I, I can't, I just don't feel God in the prayer closet anymore. I open my Bible and I read, but I don't hear him speak to me anymore. I don't have excitement about church anymore. It may be that you're so filled with other stuff that there's no room for Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, put all that stuff on the back burner. Get filled with him. And he'll put that stuff in the right order. It's not that he don't want you to have a successful business or possessions or that stuff. What he's saying is, I went to be first. Wow. Is there no vacancy in your heart and life because it's filled with familiarity or possessions of this stuff? Because Revelation 3.20 says this. This is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Is there any vacancy for me? Well, hear me now, church. He is knocking at the door of some hearts and right here, right now. Can't you hear it? Maybe your heart is starting to beat. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any person will open the door for me, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. In other words, we will have a relationship. I will fill him or her. He is knocking right now. I have an honest question. Listen, I'm not just preaching to people. It would be very easy for you to sit here this morning and say, well, you know, there's probably some people here that don't have a relationship with Jesus. He's preaching to them. No, I'm preaching to the church too. Hear me, Christian man and woman of God that has been in church a long time. Are there areas of your life you put a no vacancy sign over your heart? Have you said, yes, I want you to be my Savior, but, but out of my marriage? Yes, 
Yes, I, I love the blessings and I love the healing, but man, this tithing thing, don't be messing with my finances. No vacancy. <laughs> I love you, Jesus, but I ain't going to pray to you about my boyfriend or girlfriend because you might say that eight to one and I ain't digging that, so, <laughs> you know, no vacancy. But I I love you, Jesus, and I'll worship you on Sunday, and I'll sing songs to my family, but, but we're not going to talk about my work because I need that promotion, and you may say it ain't time, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not with that program. So, God, I'm going to serve you everywhere else, but when I walk through the work doors, no vacancy. Jesus is asking every one of us today. He's knocking, and he is saying, will you open the door of your heart? Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please?